Hi, I'm Douglas Haynes, your Monday host of A Public Affair. We love creating this public space for in-depth conversations about education, ecology, food, and so much more. To keep these conversations going, we need your support. Go to wortfm.org slash donate. Thank you. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take it to another mental level. No power frequency. Welcome to a public affair. I'm your Monday host, Douglas Haynes. Here in Wisconsin, we're riding the tail end of the harvest season into Thanksgiving now, and to honor the season and the 50th anniversary of the Dane County Farmers Market, we're going to talk today about the regional and national importance of this local food treasure. We're also going to celebrate the publication of the new Dane County Farmers Market Cookbook by Wisconsin food writer Teresa Allen. Teresa will be on Madison Bookbeat on December 4th, talking about the cookbook today, but we'll get a little preview. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio today by two stalwarts of the Dane County Farmer's Market. Jamie Bugel is the market manager of the Dane County Farmer's Market. Welcome to A Public Affair, Jamie. Thanks. And Henry Morin is a fourth-generation fruit grower who runs Morin Orchard and Nursery with his wife, Lisa Fishman, in Orfordville, Wisconsin. Thanks for joining us, Henry. Yeah, great to be here. And welcome, listeners. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question for my guests about the Dane County Farmers Market or a story to share about what the market means to you, I know it means much to many listeners, please do give us a call at 608 256 2001 extension 9 you can also reach out to a public affair on x or facebook we'd love to hear your stories about the dane county farmers market today and include uh you all listening in the conversation but first we'll start with you jamie market manager um Teresa allen really gives such a wonderful detailed informal history of the market in this new cookbook the dane county farmers market cookbook um you're here uh, as the market manager with this uh, sense of everything that happens at the farmer's market, uh, including a little bit about uh, the story of this market, right? Tell us what to you are some of the key moments of the market's origins and history that you think people should know about. Yeah, well, I think um, just the very beginning of it, so 1972, just a handful of farmers came to the Capitol Square, and it was a huge success. So um, the next weekend and into the following years, more and more farmers kept coming to the Capitol Square and more and more customers kept coming, and that's where the market was born. Um and I think the market has continued to grow and diversify the offerings that downtown Madison has seen all the way up through now. Um, one of the biggest historical events I think that we're all still kind of living through was the COVID pandemic. And we had to move off the square for the first time in over 45 years. And that was a huge um, a huge change to our operations. But all we know is that when we came back at the middle of the summer of 2021, the outpouring of support from the community was just huge. And it's almost like we've never left now, now that we're back on the square again. Yeah. Um, since you brought it up, why don't you tell us a little bit more about the impacts on the community of the pandemic? Um, I'm sure you could talk a long time <laughs> about that, but take us into what uh, the market had to do to to re-envision re its operations for that time period, which was a significant amount of time. Yeah, so we were not allowed to operate on the Capitol Square. And so instead, um, the former managers uh, 
came up with a plan to have a pre-order pickup system over at the Alliant Energy Center. So this was really cool because it did allow people to see more offerings that maybe you don't see on a busy Saturday when you're, you know, busy looking through a table and you only grab the items that you know and know how to cook with. But instead, this pre-order system kind of allows you to peruse, look things up on how you're going to cook them and um, really added a different type of connection between customers and farmers. But of course, you know, there's the challenges and still the separation that you you don't get to talk with your producers as much as a customer that really came back when we came back to the square, which has been lovely. Yeah. And tell us also a little bit more about the other venues where the market operates year round. Yeah. So obviously we're always on the square, um, April through November. And then um, starting on November 8th, this year, we'll move inside to Monona Terrace, where we have what we call our holiday markets through December. Then we move to Garver Feed Mill for our late winter market, January through April. And that's just a really wonderful venue and is really cool tying to our agricultural past, being that Garver Feed Mill was once a sugar beet factory and a feed mill. Um, And then um, we also, during the outdoor season, operate downtown at our Wednesday market. So that's a mid, uh, mid-morning mid to midday market where we see a lot of uh, downtown residents. Yeah. And so what is the reach of the market today? How many vendors do you have, for example? How many visitors? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, we have about 220 vendors at this time, and we maintain a wait list, which usually has about 30 30 vendors on it. So if you join the wait list, it takes one to two years to join the market. Um, And as for customers, we have never personally done a count, but what we hear is it's around 20,000 or over 20,000 visitors on a busy Saturday. Wow. And um, in terms of uh, how many people come over the seasons like do you have a sense of that as well like in winter versus summer yes um our our indoor markets usually we see um, a couple thousand people come and visit you know two thousand or so um and i would say see it's less seasonal and it's more time of day so in um you know at a Saturday market, we know we'll see the chefs and the regulars before 7 a.m. And then maybe a little bit later in the morning, around 11 a.m., we see more folks coming for football games or who are visiting. And the market is just one of many things that they're doing to enjoy Madison. So um, I think we see that pattern all year round. Right. So there's this sort of rhythm to the market day and you yes. have a sense of who's going to be there. I should add... Um, there's a lot of uh, comments about the way chefs use this market in this cookbook that we're going to be talking about today, the Dane County Farmers Market Cookbook, including uh, a foreword by Chef Tori Miller, um, which is really interesting, him talking about having heard of this market while he was working in New York City before coming to uh, Madison. Um, so we'll be talking a lot about the cookbook here momentarily, but also want to get a perspective from a, a vendor at the market. Henry Morin is here with us. Henry, tell us about your personal history with the Dane County Farmers Market. How long have you been going and what does the place mean to you, both as a, a person who's trying to sell produce, but also just as a citizen? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> well, um, I didn't grow up in Wisconsin. I grew up in the fruit growing areas of um, Western Michigan, 
And um, but then after college, my wife and I, we both moved. We were in New York and she got a job teaching at Beloit College and we moved to Wisconsin. That was in 1998. Um, I knew about the Dane County Farmers Market and I at that time kind of I, I wanted to get back to my own sort of farming, mm-hmm. not part of what I did when I was a kid. <laughs> so we, we had this plan to start a farm and, um, and um, kind of immediately signed up for the Dane County Farmers Market wait list. And um, in the meantime, um, we began selling as vendors at the Beloit Farmers Market um, and um, came off the wait list in 2003 and have been vendors then since um, 2003 at the at, at the Dane County Farmers Market. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, the market kind of means as as a farmer, it means it's my our primary way of selling what we grow. Um, it really completely transforms one's relationship to how you sell your, you know, to, to you eventually to your customers. Um, when we were growing up, it was a much larger farm than what we have much larger. And I mean, we really, we had a, a fruit stand that, um, just outside of Grand Rapids that we sold, um, sweet corn and all the various fruits, peaches and so on. Um, but that was just really a tiny part of the farm. Um, mostly it was apples that would be, you know, picked by the guys and they would go off, you know, who knows where. And, and as a kid, we kind of had almost a derisive, um, (laughs) sense of what our customers were. You know, we like, like, you know, we'd sort of made fun of the people who would come to the fruit stand in a, um, you know, belligerent, youthful kind of way. Um, whereas now, I mean, you become friends with your customers and, you know, many of your customers and, um, and, um, it, the market, it allows a farmer to kind of work outside the normal commercial, um, channels of growing food you have you know a a, a, as direct a elementary relationship to your customers as you you can have and um so it's yeah it's totally transformed how you know how that the relationship between you know a a grower and and um and the eventual you know eater of your of the food so yeah it means a, a whole lot yeah you mentioned becoming friends with some of your customers. Are there people that you see year after year oh, oh, being sure. here 20 years? Oh, sure. Yeah. And yeah. And, and when I say friends, I mean truly friends. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah. And will you know, for example, you know, what they're looking for? And uh, yeah. do you yeah. talk about, do you have a sort of dialogue about what's happening on the farm and oh, how yes. they use the food and mm-hmm. what you're going to be producing? And Yeah, just, you know, just the way that you would have a friendly conversation with anyone that, you know, that you're, that you're, that you see regularly, um, you know, what, you know, how are things going? And, you know, it's, it isn't just about, um, food. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's very comprehensive. Um, 
not with everyone by any means, but but you know certainly with a you know a number of people that you would otherwise not you know just mm-hmm. you wouldn't know. So in that way, obviously, it's a lot of work I'm sure to prepare to come to Market Day, um, which uh, it would be great to hear from you about kind of what the preparations involve. But in that way, it's also sort of a social event. It sounds like or something that is yeah. part of your yeah. community life. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a social event, that part of it, um, that that just kind of, you know, ebbs and flows as, as you know, a social setting will. Um, um, getting prepared for the market. I mean, I think we've gotten a lot better at it over the years. You know, it used to be, you know, I mean, there like during cider season, I'd be like, putting labels on jugs at midnight and then having to get up at three and you know so uh we don't do that anymore Uh we kind of figured out oh if we press cider on thursday instead of friday we can have friday to do the stuff that we used to do at midnight uh Uh friday night so yeah you know the wheels of of uh of reason um They turned oh. ever so slowly, but yeah. So you know, you just—I think we've gotten better at 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 figuring out how to do things in a more um, uh, efficient way. An um, incredible amount of logistics, I imagine. Like, how many pounds of apples or fruit would you be bringing to the market on a on a really good yeah. fall Saturday? I mean, for me, it isn't. I mean, yeah, there is that because yeah. you, yeah, you have to figure things out. Um, but again, you kind of just get better at mm-hmm. being able to have expectations about what what to bring and how much and you know what you'll have now if you know if we want to save this variety for later in the season, you know um, it's it you just kind of get better at 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 making those decisions over time and that's fourth-generation fruit grower Henry Morin, who runs Morin Orchard and Nursery with his wife, Lisa Fishman, in Orfordville, Wisconsin. We're talking about the Dane County Farmer's Market and the Dane County Farmer's Market Cookbook, uh, newly released to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Dane County Farmer's Market. We're also talking today with market manager Jamie Bugel. And we would love to hear from you here on A Public Affair. You can give us a call at 608-256-2001, extension 9, if you have a question for my guests or you want to share a story about what the Dane County Farmer's Market means to you. Jamie, Jamie um, tell us more about uh, what you see as why this market matters. Um, we've heard a real personal account from Henry here in terms of the social uh, ecological um, dimensions of markets, why this one makes such an impact here in this region. Um, yeah, I I mean, going off of what um, Henry, Henry kind of wrapped up with, with how, how do you prepare to come to a market? I, I field a lot of questions like this, which is our, our times, you know, on Saturday are 6.15 a.m. to 1.45 p.m., but I get people who ask me who get to the market at 1 p.m. They say, where is everyone? I don't see anyone. And I think that the market is so unique in that you see how there's only only this many ripe carrots this week. That's all you're going to find at the market. And the only way to get that is if you go a little bit earlier and, um, and talk to the farmer who grew them. And I think that we... 
um, are so used to just being able to go to the grocery store and just get whatever we want at any time of day. But the market is so unique in making sure that we kind of see how much work it takes to grow and get this to a place where you can buy it. And it's such a good reminder of that. Um, but but in a, in a larger sense, the market and our producer-only rules, which means everything that's coming downtown on Saturdays is grown in Wisconsin, and the people who are selling it to you have had an active hand in growing it. So they are the expert on it. Um, and so you're guaranteed fresh freshness, you're um, guaranteed kind of more knowledge if you want to have a little bit more background about what you're buying. And yeah, again, you can make those connections with your local farmers. And this is, as you said earlier, uh, the market was founded in, in 1972, yes. 73. So this is the 50th anniversary year of the Dane County Farmers Market. And there are many ways that this anniversary is being celebrated. One is this cookbook, which we'll talk more about in a minute. But first of all, tell us some of the other ways that this anniversary is being acknowledged, Jamie. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, the cookbook really was the idea came to light during the 50th anniversary year um, in 2022. So last year we did more of our um, activities around that. We had a fundraiser where we had local artists um, paint uh, like wagons. You know, many of the chefs use wagons to shop around the market. Um, and so those were displayed and were a fundraiser um, for the um, Dean County Farmers Market Educational Scholarship Fund, which goes to any students who are studying something regarding agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, and that's uh, a yearly event, so look at our website if you're interested. But um, uh, we also had a really great picnic after um, one of our um, one of our markets last year where we kind of celebrated um, more of the people who have led us to this point. So original market manager Jonathan Berry, um, Quentin Carpenter and Mary Carpenter, who were um, who were managers for a decade um, and really set the market up for some of the systems we still use today. Um, and we celebrated um, different cultural elements of the market. We had Hmong dancers, um, and you know, Hmong growers make up a huge part of um, of the market. And now we have this beautiful cookbook um, by Teresa Allen. Um, let's dive into this. My wife and I were paging through it this weekend, and in seemingly every page, one of us was like, we should make that, or the kids would love that. They're really accessible, um, engaging, beautifully presented recipes. What's particularly remarkable about it to me is that the recipes come from the market community, um, either vendors or buyers or both. Um, what stands out to you about the cookbook, Jamie, that you just feel like when you tell people about it, here's what they should know? Yeah, I I just I, I just love how it you it, every recipe you see the product that you bought at the market first. You know, it's not a recipe where like, oh yeah, and then add some eggplant in there. It's they're recipes that really celebrate the produce. Um, and like you said, they're very accessible. Um, Therese did such an amazing job with um, her volunteer food testers to really vet every single recipe and make sure it one was uh, doable for a an average person to do. You know, many of the recipes are submitted by chefs who have a whole other level of um, knowledge on that mm -hmm. front. And um, and yeah, that that hard work really paid off. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and for you, Henry, what stands out when you pick up this cookbook? Um, yeah, I mean, both what what uh, Jamie's describing is that how uh, how I mean, I won't say they're they're simple recipes, but they kind of are. I mean, they're 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 something that you look you open the book to any page and you look at the recipe and and first of all you 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 think I could. I can make this and then and you can and and the and the the ingredients are yeah it's all stuff you can find at the market um so yes I think it's just a very user friendly book and that reminds me of uh, something that came up several times in the book, the, I, the notion that this market is not just a place where you go to pick up uh, a few produce items that you could actually do, and people do, all of their grocery shopping or most of their grocery shopping at this market. Um, and the recipes, like you said, Henry, speak to that, that uh, you could find all of these things there. Yeah, no yeah, without question. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's hear about a couple of these. I asked both of you to to talk a little bit about a couple of favorite recipes here so we can give people, if not an actual taste, a um, little um, virtual taste of what's in this book. Um, I'll turn it back to you, Jamie. Tell us about one that just uh, strikes you, or I don't know if you've cooked any of these yet, if you've had a chance, uh, but if not, what looks good to you? Yeah, so the one that really stood out to me was the um, the sweet corn spaghetti, I believe. Um, one of the reasons I really like that recipe is because it, um, one, you can use fresh sweet corn, but then you can use the frozen sweet corn that you have um, throughout the winter, basically. And again, it's super simple and easy to, um, yeah, I don't know, easy to do. Uh -huh. And, um, and uh, before I became market manager, I was a grad student studying sweet corn breeding. So I have a very personal connection to that and um, love any recipes that I can find with that. Yeah. And uh, who's the producer or community member tied to that one? Yes. This recipe was submitted by Mary Corral. And you can find sweet corn at many of yeah. our producers, <laughs> um, especially during sweet corn season. It goes much later than you expect every year. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that one. Henry, you got one for us? Um, sure. Um, well, I don't have so much. A there are There is a particular uh, recipe, um, the uh, winter slaw with dried cranberries and parmesan, um, but I, I, and which is a great recipe, but I, I, I would say cranberries in, in general are um, a, an, an incredible ingredient, really versatile, um, um, People think that it's a seasonal ingredient, but it's really it's a it's it's one of the most versatile fruits. It can be used all year round um, as a dried fruit. Um, but it, um, my wife, as she emphasized to me before coming here, she's like, it doesn't have to be dried. You can just it's the simplest thing to prepare. Throw it in a pot, cook it a little bit. You don't have to put sugar in. It's um, but she she likes sour foods, but um, but uh, it's an amazing fruit. It's the most. I mean, Wisconsin produces more cranberries than any other state in the country, um, and it's a it's a it's an indigenous, it's a native fruit, um, um, and was you know used widely by people living in this area for a very very long time. Um, 
um, yeah, it's just an amazing fruit, I think. Yeah, uh, either of you, I'll just throw it out there. Tell us about uh, how often and where you can find cranberries at the market these days. Um, widely available. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, there, I I think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jamie. I'm not. Sh- I doubt if the cranberry growers um, come to. I mean, this is definitely their season this, now, yeah. but probably up until Christmas. Is that right? Yeah. they Like I mentioned before, they end up selling out very quickly. So you'll see them at least at our first holiday market in November, but um, December is a little bit up in the air for them. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, how popular the cranberries yeah, are this but year. They're, but they're easy to stock up on. I mean, yeah. you can get a lot of them and freeze them and then, you know, use them all year. And they mm-hmm. sell them actually in bags with holes in them so that you can just throw the bag into your freezer and you don't have to do anything else to prepare it. And then you have cranberries all year long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the cranberry producers at the market, are these like some of the big producers in the central sands that are coming down to the market here in Madison? Or are there more local producers of cranberries as well? Um, we specifically have one main cranberry producer named Weatherby Cranberry Company, and they're up near Black River Falls, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just kind of come down once it's uh, cranberry season. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have some producers who only come at certain times of the year to the market. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's kind of what makes um, visiting the market in every season really great. You know, mm-hmm. if you come in the spring, you can see like you can imagine the like best garden you could ever plant. You know, with all the plant starts mm-hmm. that are there, and then of course the middle of the season, it's all all the fruits and vegetables you could ever want and now it's just like wow like how can we have the best holiday meals ever mm-hmm. <laughs> well that my i aspired to be a very limited uh, season <laughs> vendor a, a long time ago i thought well we'll just go during the apple season and you know and just you know do other things during the rest of the season but the market kind of pulls you in um and so yeah i think you know we've kind of expanded the the range of what our season is um just because it made sense and you know you, you know people would say you know you you don't grow that you call yourself a farmer <laughs> so we'd like well we better grow this and then you know so um yeah do you think that that's indic- uh, indicative of what happens a lot? That uh, I was talking about dialogue back and forth between producers and and consumers the uh, a little bit ago. That people will make suggestions to farmers and oh, they sure. will respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they'll say, you know, oh, have you have you ever have you ever grown this? And um, um, yeah, I think it makes it makes that dialogue makes you a better farmer. You start to think about hmm, maybe we could do this or. You know, we could do this in a better way, mm-hmm. and um, and um, yeah, for sure. That that dialogue, I think, it 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 helps you, and it it makes you think about you know why you do things the way you do things, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think it's a critical part of of of, of being a grower. Yeah. Can you think of an example with a crop in particular where you've gotten that kind of feedback or curiosity to try um, something new? If I had a few more minutes, I could yeah, probably sure. think maybe of we'll one. Come back to uh, that. Maybe I'll. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, um, I I can't think of one just offhand. Well, in the meantime, speaking of your crops, Henry, uh, we'd be remiss not to acknowledge your family's contribution to this cookbook. Um, tell us more about uh, the recipe here. Really, kind of at the back of the book, more in orchard, yeah. baked apples with cider sauce. Well, it's a it. it 
it's a really simple recipe, but you can make it more complex if you um, if you if you if you'd like to. Um, um, there are kind of two sources for that recipe. Um, one of them was um, um, my wife and I. We go to Washington, try to get to Washington Island at least sometime during the summer and relax. And um, there's a little um, uh, museum there um, f- devoted to the 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 fishing community mm-hmm. there. And in it, they had um, the the little house that you can sit in and and just take in. Um, had some cookbooks from um, the fifties, I think, and it had this baked apple recipe, and um, and we were kind of laughing about it because it hardly seemed like it needed to be a recipe, and also um, and and but but it's something we would make all the time. Um, because it's so simple and, um, and as my wife points out, it's a, like one of the best purest ways she likes to say, um, of enjoying an apple. Um, and so that just seemed a, a, a very, um, natural mm-hmm. suggestion for the cookbook. It also kind of came out of my, one of my, um, um, uh, a memory of 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 enjoying apples this way from uh we my my brothers and dad and uncle would go deer hunting in Michigan and my uncle one time had a bunch of Rhode Island greening apples and he just said let's just throw we were going going off for the the day to go hunting and he just plopped a bunch of these apples in a pan and covered it and put it in the you know, the dying embers of the fire. And we came back at the end of the day and there was this like incredibly beautiful pan with these, you know, apples bursting out of the, out of the top of the pan. And it was the most delicious, um, you know, expression of the fruit that Mm -hmm. I think I'd had to date uh, to that, uh, you know, up until that time. And so that memory and seeing this recipe if you can call it that in the in that cookbook and and then our own um um the ease with which you can prepare it um it just made sense as a good suggestion for the cookbook yeah thanks for that lovely memory which just evokes uh so much about the way food ingrains in us right and in our our relationships and in our past um and i wanted to point out also that um you make specific recommendations in this recipe for varieties of apple. You mentioned Rhode Island greening apples a minute ago, which is one of the ones in this list. Um, But this is an opportunity maybe to tell us a little bit more about why certain kinds of apples are appropriate to certain kinds of uses and and your apples. Um, Well, I mean, on the one hand, apples, you can kind of get away with using almost any variety for, and I'm sure there are apple growers who are, who would, who would cringe if they heard me <laughs> saying this because, but, but you can kind of, and my wife would too, because she's, um, she likes things to be, you know, be done in a certain way. But, but for me, I, I, you can kind of get away with, um, using apples for, you can use varieties for a lot of different things. They're not, they don't have to be particular to a certain use, but you know, if you're making a pie, I think an apple that has a good amount of tartness, a good acidity, it's going to make a better pie. 
the apple won't just taste like, you know, this kind of mushy stuff in the, in the crust. It's going to have apple flavor. So there are some varieties that are just, um, you know, that are, that will, that will, you know, that'll do that. And, um, and then there are some varieties, um, that just, I mean, the number one thing that people kind of ask for, um, now is crispness and everybody wants a crisp apple (laughs) and understandably, but, um, but, um, so like dessert apples, apples that are eaten out of hand, um, yeah, I mean, crisp, crisp is a, is a, is a, is a, seems to be an essential, um, element of a, of a, of a, just a nice fresh eating apple. Um, and, a, and, and then on that, within that, those crisp apples, there are apples that are sweet, apples that are tart. Some people like, you know, sweeter apples, some people like a more tart apple. And then you, what we do is when someone says, I'm just looking for an apple to eat, you know, we ask them, you know, do you like a sweet apple? Do you like a tart apple? And that usually at least narrows it down to somewhere on the spectrum that you can then suggest, you know, this one or that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thank you, Henry. That's Henry Morin of uh, Morin Orchards who is talking about his contribution to the new cookbook, the Dane County Farmer's Market Cookbook, Local Food Bo- Foods, Global Flavors by Therese Allen, which is celebrating the Dane County Farmer's Market 50th anniversary. There's still time to give us a call today here on A Public Affair if you'd like to join the conversation about the Dane County Farmer's Market or share a story about the significance of the market to you. You can give us a call at 608 256 2001 extension nine while we're talking about this cookbook um jamie we'll go back to you do you have another recipe that you'd like to talk a little bit more about that um jumps out to you in this cookbook um yeah i also really like the um shishitos recipe um that i i feel like shishitos have like exploded on and every restaurant you go to has like a shishito appetizer um and i think that really speaks to the peppers themselves you don't have to do much to like just make them delicious and you know their finger food you can just eat as many as you want (laughs) which is great with a low low spice and but still a little bit of that heat yeah Yeah. there's this beautiful picture of uh, shishito peppers both a close-up and then uh, a stand here at the Saturday market. And the recipe here is there, it's yakitori shishito peppers from Gilbert Altschul, chef owner of Grandpa's Pizzeria in Madison. But as you say, really simple. But a, uh, a lot of these recipes are like reminders of how you can take what seems like something simple and make it really memorable, right, in a certain way or other. Absolutely. Um, there is also this incredible list, which I found so useful and interesting at the end in the appendix of the cookbook of what's at the market, the list of crops and products, um, literally hundreds of crops and products, which, as you said earlier, Jamie, um, you know, obviously vary uh, across the year. Um, but this incredible diversity of products, things that people might not think about they're going to find at the farmer's market. Um, are there any, as I'm mentioning that, that jump out to you, Jamie, or as somebody who's there every week or every, not just every week, bi-weekly, right? <laughs> um, yeah. That you notice, oh, hey, that's here or that's new. I never thought 
you know, of that coming here to the market? Um, gosh, this is a tough question for me because nothing surprises me now. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but I think one thing that I really like seeing um, is peanuts, um, which I... Uh, I spent time growing up in Virginia. I think of like the South as a peanut growing area. We can totally grow peanuts here, but we just don't see it, you know, at the roadside stands as much as we do sweet corn. And it's really cool that we could get local peanuts here. Absolutely. Sweet potatoes too. I don't, mm-hmm. think we, I, I don't, I don't, you know, you don't think of a sweet potato as being a Northern or a Wisconsin crop, but there's some really beautiful sweet potatoes on the square. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and yeah, you you can grow them here. Absolutely. Unlike a lot of fruits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> just <laughs> we were we were having a little conversation prior to the show. Yeah. About some some yeah. difficult to grow fruits yeah. in Wisconsin. The challenges of fruits in Wisconsin, which um I think this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about um the changing climate and not just the overall changing climate but also seasonal uh, uh, variation in weather from year to year and how that might uh, impact what's happening at the market, how it impacts farmers' livelihoods, but also what um, people are going to see when they go to the market on any given day. Um, you want to start with that one, Henry? Yeah, sure. I mean, that that weather is kind of everything, or it's a big part of growing. Um, it can make or break you. Um, um, and it's one of those things, you, you know, there's like so many um, natural events, there's, you always feel like there's something you could do to, um, to, to, to address the problem. Um, so you, you're, you're torn between like what you feel you, you could do, what you feel you have some control over and what you really don't have any control over. Um, and, um, and but well like rain, so, well we were talking a little bit before the show about sweet cherries and um a big issue with sweet cherries is 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 rain before uh you know when they're just as they're ripening and and their tendency to split and then once they've split they 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 get diseases very quickly um well i mean there is something you can do about that you and they have you know in growing areas they have they they grow them under these like big high tunnels that protect them from rain it also provides um um uh frost protection and um hail protection you know we do, we get hail and that can wipe it out you know very <laughs> in a very short period of time so you can grow these things under you know, high tunnels, but they are expensive. They cost a fortune. And then the, you know, the, 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 the question come, you know, becomes, is it, does it make sense for me to put all of this money into something that, yeah, it'll do the job. Um, but will, you know, how many years is it going to take for us to make back what we put into it in order to, you know, build this infrastructure that, that, that will kind of basically solve this problem. Um, that's one of those things you have to, you know, you have to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, navigate that as a grower, both in response to what customers are saying they'd like to see, versus, like you said, what sure. is what is viable, yeah, economically. Um, I mean, there there's so many things like that, and um, you know, irrigation. This everyone knows it was a really dry summer, and um, 
um, um, you know, you really had to irrigate. And um, there is various degrees of sophistication in ir- in irrigation, and um, and it's a you know it's another big expense to do it you know really really well. Um, and in some years you don't need it at all, and in many years you don't need it at all. But in other years you you know you you're you're going to be in trouble if you don't have it. Um, and you just never know. And, um, uh, frost protection in fruit growing, um, frost is, um, you know, it's something that can wipe you out, um, at the beginning of the season. And, um, um, you know, there's things you can do, but again, they they can be very costly. Um, uh, yeah. So you just have to kind of try to try to strike that balance of something that makes sense economically um yeah and over the years that you've been growing have you noticed more volatility or variability it's hard to say yeah. because i i i think so i mean with with like 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 rain events i guess are are more um have have become more extreme mm-hmm. you know everyone says that who you know, observes, but, um, I don't know. I don't, I, I had an uncle that kept very, very careful records of, for years of, of, um, of the weather. And, um, he was usually pretty, um, you know, he'd seen it all like, yeah, we've had this before we've had this before. And he wasn't in any way dismissing the climate change, but it also like, like it was something that, I mean, you know, farmers have always had to mm-hmm. deal with extreme weather, you know, and um, you just kind of deal with it. And the same thing with the varieties of, you know, new pests come along, mm-hmm. um, um, new or more severe um, uh, uh, fungal diseases, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, you just end up trying to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Jamie, if you think of the market as sort of along these lines, uh, the public face of the food system in a way, do you see it having an educational mission as well, Um, whether that be about climate and the the things that Henry is just talking about, the challenges that farmers face uh, from year to year with the changing climate or just uh, extreme weather? Um, Or there might be other ways that you see the market as being an educational um, opportunity or venue. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I mean, yes. So this, the summer obviously was a dry summer and, you know, people, um, it was right around strawberry season. And I just remember talking with people who wanted to go strawberry picking, um, which is really awesome that we do have farms that allow that as well. Um, but they couldn't find a place to go strawberry picking. And I think that, um, the farmers like Henry shared are so good at like rolling with the punches and getting a product to the market that we can forget how hard it is to actually get there sometimes. Um, But, you know, at the market, if you brought strawberries this year, some of them were smaller, they were a little bit um, sweeter. um, And, and that is just a yearly variation, which is kind of cool that like, we aren't, going to get the exact same product mm-hmm. every single year because it's kind of just different year to year. Um, so I think that's one part of an educational component of mm-hmm. the market. Um, and um, 
yeah, I would also just say in the larger um, climate change conversation, the agriculture that you're participating in at the market is so different than what the majority of agriculture is um, everywhere. And again, having that personal connection and talking to those people who are actually growing your food is uh, super valuable. Yeah, there's an intimacy there with the producers, but also, like you just said, that example of the strawberries was so powerful that uh, when you have a connection with a local produce from year to year, you become more intimately attached to that um, variation in weather, variation in climate, and you see how that's represented then in, in the food that you eat, which then makes you think perhaps maybe a little bit more differently about the the agroecosystem around you, right? Yeah. Or the landscape around you. Yep. Um, so, so much going on there in, in those connections with farmers that are happening at the market. Um, Jamie, I know you've also really thought a lot about food access at the market. And I think um, we should definitely, while we still have a little bit of time, give you an opportunity to talk about that and food access programs that are integrated into the market. Totally. Yeah. Well, so um, the market is if you if you have um, food share, which was previously known as food stamps in the state of Wisconsin, you um, have a EBT card, which is like a debit card. And you can use that at most grocery stores, most gas stations. But it's really unique that you can also use it at the farmer's market. We have a specific equipment where we can accept it. And we have a whole system to work um, with our customers and the growers so that we can make sure that you can use those benefits to buy from your local farmers. But in addition to that, we have a program called Double Dollars, which means if you take $20 off of your card, you get $20 automatically. And that's funded through things like Willie Street Co-op and the county and the city provide funding to help support that. But spending $20 at the market versus $40 at the market is a big deal. And again, going back to strawberries, I've had a customer tell me before that the Double Dollars program allows him the luxury of strawberries every year Mm -hmm. and i would just like to live in a world where strawberries are not a luxury but they are a thing that we can all celebrate and eat together yeah that was uh so lovely the way you just put that that um you're engaged in efforts to make these uh, local foods that are available in some cases right for people right outside their doorstep um, to everyone, right? Um, and that is a, a cultural barrier, perhaps, maybe that a markets face. Uh, I imagine that uh, people perceive farmers markets as being expensive. Yes, I think that's um, unfortunately a um, yeah something that people do perceive sometimes. Um, but and I think the biggest access barrier is just we're only open a few hours mm-hmm. a week. And if it doesn't work with your schedule, that's really tough. Um, but um, price wise, I think if you're shopping locally um, and you're shopping in season, many of the vegetables you find at the market are less expensive than what you find in stores, um, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, go ahead, Henry. Well, I would just want to say too that of the of the various farmers markets around the around Madison, the Dane County Farmer's Market has the most, ver- the, the, the range of, of, of customers is, is, is amazing. And, um, um, and I think it's the most, the, the most welcoming market for all 
people of mm-hmm. of of the area. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it 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 seems that it makes a real effort to 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 have the access be an important part of its um, of its mission. Absolutely. And um, you're talking about access and um, being able to use the produce is another question of access, right? If you can find um, relatively affordable local produce, that's great. But you also have to know what to do with it. And that brings us back to this cookbook, of course, which, as you both mentioned, as we were talking about earlier, really kind of foregrounds uh, using these foods in accessible ways that don't require a lot of additional um, hard-to-find foods or don't require a lot of very time-intensive preparation. So I just thought that was worth mentioning as well, that 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 is a real quality of this cookbook that comes through. And I want to mention, you were talking about the holiday markets, Jamie, that Therese Allen will be autographing this cookbook coming up at those holiday markets on the 2nd of December and the 9th of December from 815 to 1015. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about the holiday markets too and the atmosphere there? Yeah, um, the holiday markets are great. So we're in Monona Terrace and um, usually we're in a space with like this bright red floor. So it feels very like warm and um, (laughs) holiday ish. Mm -hmm. Yes, very festive. Um, But we have. As many of you might have noticed, we we just got our first frosts of the year. So we actually still have quite a bit of produce to share. So we have um, from almost 70 vendors signed up for all four of our holiday markets, um, which go through uh, December 16th. And yeah, you're still going to find fresh vegetables, um, plus all of those other good items like meats, cheeses. Um, freshly baked sourdough bread using local grains um, and yeah fruits plus like there's a little bit more of crafty elements you know you can find your um, like wreaths or um, again cranberries to do what you Mm -hmm. will with yeah and you just emphasized there again the range of local produce Um, I think it's worth mentioning we haven't been real explicit about this so far what are the ecological benefits of buying those kinds of things meats cheese produce from local vendors yeah um, one just the number of miles that they've had to travel to you is so short Um, instead of you know getting I I think California is the biggest dairy producing state but we're Mm -hmm. right up there but um you know getting your local cheese from a cheese maker who gets the milk from the uh, dairy farmer down the road it's going like 50 miles instead of 5,000 so it's it's really awesome that you can um do that and I do think in general, agriculture across the entire nation is a large user of fossil fuels, um, but not the type of agriculture you're seeing at the market. This type, again, it's traveling fewer miles. There are, Henry can speak more to this, but um, the way in which things are being produced is using fewer pesticides, fewer fertilizers, just because of how conscientious and the scale that things are happening at. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good note maybe to jump into the future of the market and what you both see as either emerging trends or um, the prospects for the next 50 years of the Dane mm-hmm. County Farmers Market. Um, Henry, what would be your mm-hmm. your vision for what uh, should be or could be happening over sure. the next 50 years? Um, boy, I mean, 
It seems to me that the market just keeps getting better and better. I mean, people, other ve- vendors do talk about you know the heyday of the market, but um, but I also um, but I also hear from vendors, um, you know, this is the best market we've ever had, um, and um, I, I guess I just I just keep seeing the market getting better at what it what it's done for the last. Um, 50 years, and um, I really believe that that we can do that. Um, Great. Jamie? Yeah, I I think just um, continuing to, yeah, have those diverse offerings, but again, having having the farmers be these people who are so intentional about what they're growing and really um, concerned about about their future Mm -hmm. as well as the customers. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's been a real joy talking to you both this hour about the Dane County Farmers Market, its history, and this new cookbook, the Dane County Farmers Market Cookbook, Local Foods, Global Flavors by Therese Allen, which features lots of vendors, lots of community members from the Dane County Farmers Market. Um, before I thank you both, Henry, give us your, well, your do, last I, thought do, here. Do we have a couple? I just thought we should say without Joan and Ted Balwig, who were... Um, who got the ball rolling on this, the book would not exist. And I just wanted to make sure we, we, we uh, pointed out that, that in their farm is savory accents. Um, They were um, critical in, 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 in the book. I'm glad you on what it, the the form that it has. I'm glad um, you brought that up. And it really does the book represent this community spirit of so many people you can see had a role to play in creating this. For sure. Yeah. So thank you, Henry Morin for joining us from Morin Orchards. Yeah. Great to be here. Thanks. And thank you, um, Jamie as well. We had Jamie, uh, Bugel market manager, the Dane County farmer's market. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks for listening to A Public Affair. I've been talking about the new Dane County Farmer's Market Cookbook by Therese Allen. If you've enjoyed today's show, and we've been talking about the 50th anniversary of the Dane County Farmer's Market as well, please do share the show with others from the Public Affair archive online or wherever you find your podcasts. I'm your host, Douglas Haynes, and I'd like to thank today's engineer, Andrew Thomas, producer, Jade Siri Ramos, and news director, Charlie Pittman. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today on A Public Affair here at WRT 89.9 FM Madison. Stay tuned for Madison Bookbeat on today's show. Host Andrew Thomas talks with Tacey Alcity about her poetry collection, At Wrist. 